And so I'm going to try something different this week. I'm sharing what I'm reading. I am reading an article from Trailrunner Magazine by Coach David Roach. Dream big and go for it. As a runner, you'll fail lots and you'll fail publicly. That's part of the point. It's a good read. Check it out. And on this episode, we will touch base with David Bronlick. He is on the Appalachian Trail. He's a good ways into it, so we get to catch up with him briefly. And then we will also talk to ultra-running badass, New York Times bestseller too, Dion Leonard, friend of the show. Great to catch up with him. Enjoy this episode. And that was a moment I, I can look back on now. And uh, that was one of my favorite moments, getting a foot massage by Hayden at mile 62. This is um, a fan of yours, and I'm just calling in to express my admiration. It's Dean Carnassus, the ultra marathon man. Hello, listeners. This is Chris Mako, and we are live. And you're listening to Training for Ultra podcast. This is Anime Flynn, and I'm here talking to Training for Ultra podcast. Yeah, it's like really, I just need to catch up with Rob. 100 miles is not that far. I, I thought oh. it was a joke, actually. It, it is. I thought it was one of your jokes, yeah. It is a joke. Okay. <laughs> okay. That's so classic. Oh my god, you because literally thing would be like beep, beep, beep. Mother, mother, beep. Mother, mother, beep, beep. Mother, beep, mother, beep, 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 beep. One, two, one, two, three, four. <laughs> Training for Ultra Podcast. I'm Sally McRae, also known as Yellow Runner. Hey, this is Carl Meltzer, the Speed Goat, and I want to welcome everybody to the Training for Ultra Podcast. Dave Bromlick, episode 97 of the Training for Ultra podcast. And Dave's joining us live on the AT right now. Dave, what mile are you at? We're catching up with Dave Bromlick here. Yeah, so I just got picked up uh, by the hostel at the co-op, which is like a grocery store in Hanover, New Hampshire, mile 1750.4. I'm glad you added the point four. So yeah, seventeen fifty <laughs> point does. four. That's just hard to comprehend. Well, uh, still four hundred forty ish to go. So, man, and all the hard stuff is to come too. Well, most of the the hardest terrain is to come. Not not to say that what I've done already hasn't been hard. There's definitely been some hard stuff, but the most challenging terrain is is New Hampshire and Maine. So that's what's going to be facing me over the last two weeks or so. And so really quick, just making sure to get the sponsors in because I don't want to have to pre-cut stuff and add it in. And I'll throw it to you for Hammer sure. Nutrition at the end. But, yeah, thank you to this show sponsors. Sufferfest Beer, Dave, you've had one or two of those with me. Um, <laughs> I have not had one yet on the AT, so we'll, I don't know. we'll definitely have one here. here. What, what's your favorite one? I'm trying to remember. Um, I mean, I'm not picky, but you know, the taper, the FKT, the blonde. I don't know. I don't know if I can name another one. <laughs> that, but they're no, all that, good. That's solid. I mean, Exoskin. I'll be wearing all that gear during the Triple Crown of 200s here. Just a few uh-huh. days, just a few days out, or I mean, a few weeks out. Yeah, that's exciting. 
I'm almost going to start yeah, tapering been, at this point. You've been crushing it, yeah. Oh, thank you. Yeah, it's weird. I I felt like after Bighorn 100, I have, like, just this whole nother gear that I've never had before, so I'm trying to not overdo it, but I'm also trying to push it to get that benefit at the same time. I don't know. It's it's weird. I've never had that extra kind of kick to my running. Nice, nice. So, yeah, since I've been on the trail, though, you've had – You've had Bighorn, and then I didn't even know you were planning on doing uh, Silver, uh, Silver Rush and um, last, I forget, I'm blanking yeah, on the last, name. Yeah, Last Call. Last Call. Yeah. And then you said like a 50-mile PR for Silver Rush, so that's, <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah, of all places, then, that was kind of weird. <laughs> crazy, crazy to do another one, like just hours later. So, But yeah, that's, I guess that's good 200-mile training. And I was also thinking, it's like, hey, well, when I get back from the AT, that's like when you're going to be starting your triple crown so i don't know maybe if you're jealous of me out here you know i'll be i'll be back at work and then you'll be doing you'll be doing the triple but you'll be hitting refresh on uh the destination trail website watch watching my track spot spotter uh throughout yeah watching you and uh courtney battle it out (laughs) Uh, i mean totally yeah (laughs) um but just to round out the uh, the the show sponsors, Destination Trail. I mean, awesome to work with Candice Burt and her team. And you'll be hearing all about those three races that I'm doing. They offer shorter distance races also. And hopefully next year I might venture out to Orcas Island. We'll see how that goes. And then Ultimate Direction, I'll be using the Mountain 4.0 vest. I've been using the handheld all week in this hot training. Um Dave, how hot has it been on the AT? Because it's blistering hot here in Denver. Anywhere south of me is over 100 degrees every day. Has the temperature on the AT been pretty hot? Yeah, so the last time we did an update, I was in Waynesboro, Virginia. So it's been basically 900 miles since we last spoke. And through the mid-Atlantic states, Pennsylvania, especially, we got a, we got a heat wave or temps from the 90s like every day for like four or five days and excuse me um and when i was in new york a couple of weeks ago we had a really really hot and humid day um but since i got to vermont it's cooled off a bit like cooled off considerably so that's been really really nice and i've had we had some rain today but for the most part the weather has been phenomenal it's been dry and really the last few days it's been cool and i camped up on top of some of the mountains in vermont the last couple nights and temps probably got down into the 40s so it was like really good for sleeping so um and i'm going to be in new hampshire so the whites you know it shouldn't get too hot but um the whites have their own crazy weather so so what what day are you on at this point um, so right now this is the end of day 55. So do you feel confident so, that you'll be able to tackle that 70 day goal that you set out to do, or are you going to be a little over a little under? I mean, how are you feeling about that? timeline? Uh, well, I, def- I definitely won't be under. <laughs> I can guarantee that. Um, yeah, it's, it's looking like 70 is still a possibility. Um, if not a probability. So doing the math. Um, I do have to average like 29.5 a day to finish in 70 days. And I've done like 32, almost 32 a day average to get to here. 
but like I mentioned before, um, the white and the Mahusix, which is like Southern Maine, is the most difficult terrain on the AT. So we'll kind of see how much that slows me down, but I'm really looking at 70 days, or it could be 71. So that's like what I'm thinking right now. So yeah. If it's 71, maybe I'll change my trail name. <laughs> the trail name I've been going by is 70, for those who don't know, but maybe that last day I'll change my trail name. You've um, been crushing it, man. How are your legs feeling at this point? You've put on 1,750 miles, point, point four also. Um, mm-hmm. Like, if you were to drop your pack and have to go run, I don't know, a 50-miler tomorrow morning, like... How would your legs that handle? That would not go well. <laughs> it would not go well. I, I'm just trying to get an understanding of how beat up your body is right now after spending 55 days out through hiking the AT. Yeah, so I get asked that question a lot when people on the trail kind of learn what I'm doing. And I usually say is that from the ankles up, I feel great. And, you know, I don't feel like, you know, I feel at the end of the long ultra or like the day after a long ultra. I feel refreshed. My my muscles feel good. But the hardest thing for me to manage is my feet. Um, you know, just doing this every day, it really takes a toll on your feet. Um, my feet are definitely a different shape they were when I, from when really? I started. I mean, yeah, like flatter or like have they adapted? Yeah, or? they've flattened out. Um, and they, they just hurt. It's like a dull a dull pain um, after like after we last spoke when I had started the Shenandoah I got some pretty significant plantar fasciitis in my left foot so I had to deal with that and you know some vitamin I and I dug up a old prescription strength anti-inflammatory and that really helped combat that so that's largely gone away that's good. But just, yeah, just kind of the, you know, the attrition, the wear and tear of, you know, doing an averaging 31 miles a day, every day with no breaks. It really takes pulling your feet. Like I've developed, uh, I think a bunion on my left foot, like I'm my pinky toe. So <laughs> this back to back, back to back episodes, uh, we've managed to squeeze in bunions, uh, into the conversation. <laughs> Um, and is it painful, I assume? Um, it's, it's uncomfortable, but you know, it hasn't really, well, it's slowed, it slowed my pace down and that might just be a combination of just general fatigue. And also the terrain in New England is harder, it's steeper, it's rockier. Whereas like down South, the trail, there's switchbacks. The trails cut into the side of the mountain more, so it's usually a lot less technical. But up here, like it's very rare when there's switchbacks. It oftentimes will just go straight up and it'll be crazy steep. So I have to try that to f- slowed me down. I was, yeah. I was just gonna say, I, was, I wish we could fly in Hayden Hawks to work on your feet for you, um, but. <laughs> I don't know if you listened to that episode. Have you have you had yeah, good yeah. connectivity? Like, are you? Because I've seen an update on Instagram almost every day. I want to say, and even yep. stories yeah, sometimes. Getting, yeah, I've been getting a post out uh, every day. Sometimes it's I try to get it out like when I'm laying down to go to bed. I'll try to type something up. 
and send it out that night. Cool. And if I don't have service, then usually I'll be up on a bridge or a mountain and I'll almost always have service up there and I can send it out the next morning. Uh, and then, yeah, stories, sometimes I'll do like a little update or I don't know if you saw the story I put up today, but I, I came I, across. Um, I did. Could you share that with <laughs> us? You didn't seem worried at yeah. all. Like you were just calm. <laughs> yeah. So, so I'm just, you know, hiking down the trail and I see something move and I've seen like a decent amount of turkeys. So at first I thought it was a, a turkey because you just see this kind of like black you know, thing move out of the corner of your eye. And I look over and I get a little bit closer and I can tell, oh, it's a bear. And then I get a little bit closer and it's like, oh, wow, there's three three little cubs with the bear. And that's usually um, not the best situation because, you know, the mama bear is going to be very protective. So the yeah. little bears, the, the cubs, you know, they shoot up the trees. So I saw these three little bears. They all climb up different trees. And the mama bear is like staring me down and I'm like filming it as I'm like walking by slowly down the trail. And the bear is like pawing at the ground and hissing at me. And yeah, it's kind of, it's kind of nerve wracking. You got lucky, man. That's like anytime (laughs) the cubs get involved and there's a mama, anything like, I don't know. It's, that's when you hear stories, you know, of things happening, but yeah, I mean, Th- these black you. bears. Maybe you... if it was a grizzly, I'd be, I'd be um, a lot more afraid. But these black bears, you know, there, there's been stories and incidents of them stealing people's food, and I even heard one of a bear stealing someone's pack oh, recently. But yeah, they're not really gonna chase you unless you like run away and like take in their instincts, but. You know, you take it slow, you maintain eye contact with them, and, and yeah, obviously I live to tell the tale, so. <laughs> did, did you shout at all? Because I've heard, like, you just, I mean, you could basically yell at them, but maybe with cubs around, that wouldn't have been a good idea. Yeah, so other other times I've seen bears, I'm, like, just, I'm trying to get a better, like, picture, and I'll be like, hey, bear, hey, yeah. bear, look at me. But um, yeah, I wasn't Smile. trying to mess around too much with with the Cubs. So I was, if you saw that story I put up, I'm like whispering to like not make that much noise. Yeah, and I... just coolly, coolly go by. So, have you been hiking through nights at all, like just to get out of the heat, or are you strictly staying like regimen on through the day and then sleeping at night? Yeah, so usually how I do it is um, I'll wake up at 4, break camp, and I'll be hiking by 4.30. And I like to be done by 8 p.m. Most days, that doesn't always happen. And that's like a typical day where I'm not going into a town to resupply. So like yesterday, for example, you know, I, I was hiking by 4.30, but I had to go into a town to get my mail drop and I had to hitchhike into this town. So that's like a whole other variable of time. But, you know, I eventually got to town and got my resupply, got back on the trail. And it's like, I knew I wanted to do another 17 miles for the day. And I'm back on the trail. I'm like hiking by like two. And I knew it was going to be that yesterday was going to be hiking into the night, but I got to the shelter at like nine 15. So it was dark, but, I haven't really hiked past 
I think like 9.30 is the latest I've hiked. So that might change, though, when I get into Maine and I kind of get close to the end. Because right now I really want to, you know, be getting at least six hours of sleep a night. Yeah. And then when I get to a hostel, like I'm in a hostel right now, so I, I won't be back on the trail till like 7, and hopefully I can get seven or eight hours of sleep tonight. So not ready yet to do go crazy and sacrifice and sleep but that might be a strategy i use you know the last like 100 miles or so yeah i mean you you saw how sketchy it got during moab so be careful if you do yeah. decide to go <laughs> low sleep because yeah you start seeing stuff um and and so would you at any point have you contemplated like dropping your pack and just finishing out like 60 or 70 miles and getting it done or are you are you planning on just keeping that same consistent pace so you don't i don't know pressure's going to be on when you're within 100 miles you don't want to like roll an ankle or anything you know yeah well i don't want to roll an ankle you know the first set tomorrow either but um yeah you know yeah so like you know slack packing is a thing you know a lot of people do out here where they'll you know, a hostel will shuttle you to one point of a trail and then they'll pick you up like 20 miles later. A lot, a lot of the other hikers do that. But for me, it's like by the time, like, you know, I work out all those logistics, um, like I could have just hiked another 10 miles or something like that. So, you know, I'm just trying to maximize efficiency. And yeah, so I haven't really done any stock packing okay. at all. I was just so, checking. Yeah. Um, yeah. What, I w- I'd be open to it if it made sense. But what what lessons have you learned so far? Like, have you have you picked up either like small tricks and stuff that are helpful that are applicable to ultra running, or I mean, what have you learned about trail running, the trails yourself, even so far? I mean, mm-hmm. you have to have picked up one or two things over the last nine hundred miles since we last talked to you. Yeah, um, you know, I think I might have said this last time we talked to you, but just one of the things that I really, you know, was interested in finding out with this trip was, you know, what is going to happen doing, you know, 50K a day for all these days in a row. So that was one thing I want to find out. And, you know, inevitably you're going to learn something. So at least for me, what I, one of the things I learned is, you know, you have to be consistent um, you know, it's, when your alarm is going off at four every day, it's really tempting to want to hit that snooze button. But especially as I've got, I'm getting the end is really, you know, within sight now. Um, you just gotta like push through that instinct to hit the snooze button, and you know, it's. I find it a lot easier to hit the snooze button. You know, the other ten months of the year when I'm working. So it's like maybe I can kind of translate that and maybe have maybe slightly more productive mornings when I get back from the trail and just just get up and get after it. Yeah. Um, so I don't know. That might be something. And just just like taking care of my feet is another one. Like got to figure out um, where to get my next pair of shoes sent because I should have had it sent to here, but I didn't. So. I didn't figure that out. I need a new pair, but yeah. Anyway, that's interesting. I mean, we didn't mention Hammer Nutrition at the beginning. You're a Hammer Nutrition athlete. Mm-hmm. Um, what 
which of those products have you actually found helpful on the trail? Which are you like sick of just like, what kind of food are you, are you gravitating towards? Yeah. So for the hammer, what I'm using, um, so I just had a recoverite shake, um, at the hostel, which, and those are good. Those taste like a milkshake and I had it with ice. Nice. So yeah, what, that, what, that really what nice. flavor? Chocolate or, or that, vanilla? Yeah, that one was chocolate. So nice. I put that. I put like one in all my mail drops. So you know, whenever I get to a town where I have a mail drop, I'll have a recoverite shake. And I've I have all different ones, but this time it was chocolate. So that was good. Chocolate is one of my favorites. Um, instead of coffee, I'm doing the espresso gels in the morning. So I'll just hit that, and that'll be the first thing I eat every morning. Nice. And, um, you know, I'm doing insurance caps. Usually when I, I take a mid break around, I don't know, mid morning, usually and eat some more substantial food and I'll do insurance caps then and I'll do a vegan tissue rejuvenator. Okay. Before I go to sleep at night. Have you had to use and any of that CBD? like rub yeah, on yeah. is that helpful actually for you or, or what uh, are you finding i'm not using the rub on i'm using um the pills oh, okay and i i don't take them i don't take them every night but if i feel like i need some extra co- recovery i'll take one yes yeah, and here. usually when i stay in a hostel i take one too because i know i'm going to sleep a little bit longer so i just want to take advantage of that extra sleep Nice. As much as possible. So you're being strategic with the CBD oil. That's interesting. What what flavor yeah. of gels or whatever you're eating, whatever bars are you like? If you sh- even like mention that, I'm gonna vomit. Like I'm so sick of that. Is there one thing <laughs> that you have that you're like, hell no, like no more? Um. Yeah. I mean, there's things I'm getting sick of, but I. I... I get so hungry that I'll just eat anything that I can get my hands on. So it's like, I'm pretty sick of those instant oatmeal packets. Oh God. Um, yeah. And they're, they're, they're not good to begin with. <laughs> um, I've been eating those nature Valley bars are really, really cheap. Those dry so ones that all... crumble and oh. no, 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 no. I okay. stopped getting the ones that crumble. Okay. I get the ones with like the chocolate okay. on the bottom that so they hold together. Well, but um, yeah, I've had way too many of those. How's your How's your so. food choices been? Has it been sort of like, I mean, I I can relate in the sense that at Moab, every aid station I saw you at, I'm like just most calories possible, whatever they have, highest calories. Like, is that kind of become instinctual for you too? Because you're at such a calorie deficit every day, um, that yeah, you're just yeah. gravitating towards junk food essentially that has high calories. Yeah, normally I hate eating junk food. Like, you know, if someone brings in donuts to work, it's easy to resist them. But, you know, especially like the second half of the trip, like, yeah, I've been craving the junk food, which has been pretty bad. But, um, you know, I I do need the calories, I suppose. And I haven't lost like a ton of weight. Unfortunately, I don't have a scale at this hostel. But, you know, I... I thought it'd be a lot worse with the weight loss, so hopefully I can get on a scale soon. But I don't, you know, I don't feel like emaciated so, or anything like that. I mean, that actually yeah. kind of ties in with 
my next question is how much harder is what you're doing now on the AT compared to the Colorado trail? Oh, the Colorado trail, that was, you know, I was still doing like high twenties, but it was definitely more leisurely. Whereas this is, this is a lot more intense. Um, you know, I took a zero on the Colorado trail last year. I'm not taking any zeros on the AT and to finish, you know, in 70 days, like I, I can't really do like a, a Nero or a shorter day. It's like, I have to try to hit a 30 every day and through the whites and then the who six. It's like, yeah, I'm, I'm you know, it's going to be tough to do. It's going to be really tough to do thirties. So it's like, if I can get like a mid 20, mid twenties, is kind of what I'm looking at. And then I can use the miles I have banked and then like the last, hundred or so miles in Maine is relatively easy. So it's like I can make up some miles there. So it's kind of the strategy I'm thinking the rest of the way. So what's been your lowest point so far? You've hiked 1,750 miles in point four. Um, yeah, point four. The point four we were talking, oh. we were, for the listeners background, Dave and I were chatting like just real quick before. And I was like, well, point four, I'm not going to include. And then I'm like, well, 70 of those <laughs> yeah so, it, that's like a full day that's like a full a, big day it's a lot of miles so um what's what's been kind of like the deepest low that you've had to overcome so far um yeah i don't know if there's like one moment where you get i got pretty low um pennsylvania was tough and i know we talked about my anxieties about pennsylvania um before i started and it's just super rocky, and there's, you know, I was almost into New Jersey, and this, the rocks were just relentless. Like, a lot of Pennsylvania, you know, the, you'd get a section that was really, really rocky, but then you'd have, like, a break for, like, five or so miles where you're just on some fire road, and it's pretty easy walking. But this last day, like, I did not get a break, and the rocks were brutal, and then it started dumping down rain, in the evening um but that that day was tough and um this day in new york like i mentioned before it was really hot and humid and southern new york is tough um so people that i guess don't really know the at super well it's you have these like boulder scrambles in new york and you're on you're on a lot of these rocks and you know, there's not, like, huge mountains to climb, but there's, like, some really steep things you have to get over. And, you know, it's 90 degrees and 100% humidity and a ton of bugs made that sounds, section pretty sounds, tough. Sounds miserable. <laughs> I was meaning to ask you, yeah, did, you, you get, did you listen to uh, the episode with my book editor, Julie Moulton? Yeah, did you hear yeah, her? Did you hear her tell podcast. tell me that she knew the person that was carrying my bag of nutrition? I was I was like totally yeah. shocked. So I just are thought, you gonna get that back? I I I'm still waiting for the <laughs> mail. Uh, no, yeah. I just I thought you of all people being uh, crew chief there. Thought you were you surprised at that? Because I know we were kind of questioning like, did I forget to put it in there? Like, what the hell happened? Um. Well, I mean, I guess That's it weird. makes sense, right? If, if you saw, like, a bag full of gels and stuff, 
<laughs> you might want to pick it up. Yeah. I, I just wanted so, to ask. It could have been someone too far behind you. Right? I don't that's, know. that's what she said. Yeah, they, they took it yeah. to Breaking Bad. Um, I saw you, of all people, had to hear that. Um, so, Dave, let's finish up with one last question. What kind of advice would you have for anyone toying with either FKT, like, you know, on any of the major trails in the United States, like, or through hiking even, um, like the AT or the CT, PCT, you know, all, all the good ones. Um, what advice at this point, you know, you have less than 500 miles to go, uh, would you have yep. for anyone thinking about it? Um, yeah, so first of all, I just want to, you know, my hike is doing the AT in 70 days. Is, you know, it's fast. It's challenging, but I wouldn't like juxtapose it with an FKT attempt because that's the whole, 41, whole different ball game. 41, 42 days. Yeah. <laughs> but, and it's, it's kind of a weird territory because, you know, a fast through hike for a lot of people is like a hundred days. And I've, and I've met a bunch of people out here trying to hike the AT in a hundred days, but you know, be, between that and like FKT, like 70 is kind of like right in the middle. So yeah, you know, it's it's unusual, I suppose. Like, I don't know how many people even attempt to do the AT in seventy days. But you know, to answer your question, like, what advice would I have for people who may be doing you know, a more traditional through hike? Um, well, if you're going to do the AT, I would definitely say go north. I'm starting to meet a lot of people going south, um, and you can. There's t- tons of reasons to go north that you can. If you're interested in doing it, you can look up because that sounds, would take like an hour to, to discuss them all. Sounds brutal going but, south uh, right now. Oh, yeah, but yeah, I would say though, you know, do do some research. There's tons of great stuff on YouTube for whatever whatever trail you want to do, and uh, um, train before your hike. You know, you don't have to <laughs> be like a crazy ultra marathoner. Well, I'm sure a lot of people who listen to this you know, run ultras, but you know, if you're just trying to thinking about doing a through hike, uh, you know, get out there and, and run or hike or, you know, find, find, find out what works for you. So that's awesome. Dave, stay yeah. strong. Just, just finish it out here. You're, uh, you're getting closer and you've done yep. 55 two, two days, to to hopefully two weeks or so. And, and we'll we'll obviously stay in touch with you. And thank you for taking the time. I know you're probably exhausted. And uh, yeah, just always appreciate catching up. And we'll have a beer when you're in in Denver here soon. So yeah, um, have fun out there. Weeks, so okay, we'll do. All right, talk to you later. Okay, bye bye. Now let's take a minute and talk to Dion Leonard. The audio quality isn't perfect, but it's a real conversation. Enjoy it. Thanks for having me on the show. I really appreciate it. I don't think I've done an interview at 10,200 feet We're this, here at Leadville. Yeah, this is a first for me too. <laughs> so hopefully this, this interview doesn't get real uh, lightheaded. And, hey, you've been here for a while, right? Been here a couple of weeks, on and off. What are you doing in Leadville? Uh, so this year I'm running the Leadman series. That involves trail marathon, 50 miler, uh, 100 mile mountain bike race. The following day you've got to do a 10 kilometer run. And then the next week you have to do the 100 mile Leadville uh, trail run. 
that's all you have on the season? That's it? Nice easy season <laughs> just, for you? Just a little Edmund series. And I decided that I would probably just throw in something else as well, so I've signed up to do the Grand Slam of Hundreds. So I've already completed Old Dominion, Western States, and that leaves me with Leadville and Wasatch to finish. I mean, going into, that's, that's huge in itself too. So you're taking two huge events and combining them into one season in a very uh, Dion-esque type way, I guess. Yeah, and it really came about from completing the Triple Crown of 200s last year. It was such an epic experience, an amazing journey that I wanted something that was going to match it this year. And for me, it was like, what can that be? And the Grand Slam of 100s was really up there. And just to top it off, I thought, let's do Leadman as well. But it, it did come about a little bit weirdly because I'd applied into Western States first. And halfway through the Western States draw, I was getting this feeling that I wasn't going to get picked for it. And I started to panic, so I started to think, what if everyone that doesn't get picked for Western decides to do Leadman? So I jumped onto the Leadman site, put in my application, paid the money, and the moment that the money went through, my name came out of the hat for Western. So at that point, I mean, you had no choice. Yeah, I was like <laughs> jumping around the living room back in Chamonix where I live with excitement, but also with this fear that I'd have to probably do two hard series together. We were talking about that. I remember your name being called because... It showed up as Shamini, Australia, <laughs> and everyone's everyone's probably scratching their heads. But I'm like, there's no other Dion's that is from Shamini anywhere. Like that has to be you. It was, and it was a bit of a weird thing to do. But that ultra sign up page doesn't allow you to put the country that you want to represent on there. And I didn't want people to think I was French, as much as I love the French. Yeah. So I, I went in between. That's funny. Yeah, that was that was. Um, there were probably quite a few people scratching their heads. Though. That was a big draw. <laughs> I, I actually saw the guy uh, through Western States at one of the aid stations that drew my name out and I took the time to stop him and thank him and uh, he, he was actually at the time when he drew me he wasn't that happy because they were trying to draw locals and uh, I said that to him and he was just like blushing he was like no no dude it was so cool that you're here now it's almost as far away as you can get I mean both sides of the world pretty much it was incredible to hear how many people were actually here uh, at Western States from around the world I thought they said 70 odd countries which yeah. was phenomenal I think, did they say it was the most international Western States ever something like I, that I did hear that and it was yeah it just shows you how um, how that race has really captivated people around the world and how uh, how crazy it is you know there was 20,000 tickets from 5,000 people I had one ticket and got drawn so <laughs> very uh, very lucky that. they'll turn off the interview <laughs> Yeah, that's it. Our interview is over. <laughs> <laughs> I did keep that quiet until I finished the race, actually. Um, so last time we talked to you, you, I think you had done Bigfoot in Tahoe and were going into Moab. You gave some really good pointers on how I should handle a 200, so I appreciate that. It really did help me. And how did Moab go for you, just to catch the listener up? And I know you were kind of on a quest for the Triple Crown podium. Yeah, so going into Moab, I was in third place overall for the Triple Crown, and I think I had an hour or two hours over second and first ahead of me. So I'd had problems from Bigfoot and Tahoe with feet that just never really got better, but I got into Moab feeling fresh, ready for it. It was the race that it probably excited me most, being a desert runner previously, 240 miles, and it lived up to all of those expectations. Unfortunately, 
I, I got out of the blocks really quickly. I had a good lead on first and second. Put, put myself a couple of hours ahead, I think, at one stage. But uh, I just couldn't continue it. My feet just gave way again. And my race just sort of... Well, actually, I spent a lot of time with the eventual winner, Todd Backman, who's a lovely, lovely guy. We, we probably ran 50, 60 miles together. And uh, he went on to win the Triple Crown. And I couldn't have been happier for him. He, he beat me, I think, by an hour. And... But we had such a great uh, relationship and race throughout the Triple Crown Series. It was it was phenomenal. And uh, to me, I, f I finished the race seventh. I think I did uh, around 70 hours. And I just saw the progression from Bigfoot to Tahoe to Moab improve every time. Learned so much. Um, that was really something that I took away. And it was just, just a phenomenal experience. So tell me more about your feet issues. Because I, I do remember talking to you and you said Bigfoot was really wet. And that it kind of destroyed your feet. And there's only 30 days to grow skin back. <laughs> they were really bad. Um, they, I mean, the, the amount of river crossings at Bigfoot was just non-stop. And it had rained as well. So even during some of the sections where you're tra traversing up some of the mountainsides, the rain water was just you know, streaming down through your legs. So you could not get your feet dry no matter how hard you tried. I probably went into the race with a little bit of my old running experience uh, in, in deserts and trails, probably not paying enough attention to the thought of how wet my feet would get. So at the time I didn't use toe socks and I didn't use something to put on my feet, which I haven't had to use ever before, I've always thought I've had strong feet. And that was a learning experience. I mean, they got so wet at one stage, uh, one of the medical team made me take my socks off, put them in front of a fire to dry them out. They were like the old trench foot. And they said to me I mean, afterwards... There's so many hours out there that... I was concerned at Bighorn 100 that I might have trench foot after 34 hours. Yeah. So twice that, you legit, I think, probably could have. I saw the footage of, uh, of your race at Bigfoot... At um, Bighorn, sorry. And... Uh, very very similar conditions and I commented that to you to say it's it's perfect uh, scared me. perfect training for Bigfoot <laughs> yeah but it's it's the key factor on the Triple Crown it's the key thing it's different if you're just going to go to the the one race and smash it but to back it up and to go again and Bigfoot's tough over 40,000 feet of elevation you've got non-stop climbs no really easy switchbacks they're, they're straight up they're straight down um, it's a beast of a race good way to start off Best. 658 miles of racing. Right? The, the best race out of the three is, is, in my opinion, is Bigfoot. It's so untouched, the beauty. The, the differences of running on day one to day three or day four is incredible. And you are really out in the wild. And I think that these days everyone really looks for that. And uh, spending some time on your own is, is, uh, is a great opportunity. So after doing all three races last year... What was your favorite aid station food? Did you have one that like, you just started getting in a rhythm? Every time you showed up, you ordered the same thing? That's the kind of thing I would do. I don't know if you're the same I, way. I probably, actually, I, I got pretty sick of quesadillas towards the end. I'd eaten a lot of them. And burritos were the other things, like breakfast burritos. I'm only just starting to eat them again now. <laughs> so I, I was very, I didn't have crew at Bigfoot. I didn't have crew at Tahoe or Pacers, so it was only really Moab that I changed it up and I had my crewman and Pacers bring me different nutrition, sandwiches or milks and uh, Powerades and things like that. That's amazing. Yeah. I mean, I try to still keep it real food, I still, you know, you're out there for a long time. And uh, I think 
you know, you just can't live on gels in that for that amount of time. It's impossible. My strategy is eat as many hammer gels as I can, sip on Perpetuum as long as possible until I'm basically just... Okay, I, I made it, I think, almost 60 hours. But I also had, like, crew that were like, Rob, you're sitting on a rock. If you're going to sit down, we'll, we'll make a deal. You eat a gel. <laughs> and snakes. And you, yeah, I saw a lot of snakes. <laughs> Even, even you saw that one, I think, <laughs> or heard about it. And, I saw the videos and, uh, yeah. And that's the great thing about something like Perpetuum as well. It's such a great light packet to be able to use and put in, you know, your drinks along the way and the calories in it are, are, are fantastic. So I use that quite a lot as well throughout those longer races. And I have for, for quite some time. Yeah, I was going to ask you, did you use it during the Gobi? Like, some of your first stage races that you've written full... New York Times bestselling books on? <laughs> well, the, yeah, because of the lightness of the packet, the, yeah. the actual quantity of the product and the ingredients that are in there as well, great for being able to pick yourself up to recover, get you through the stage that you're actually in, um, and, you know, give you the energy to power on as well. And it tastes good. So I think you've got all of the things there. So, yeah, I've been using that probably since about 2014. 14. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And not to overly focus on hammer products, but do you use Recoverite during stage races? Uh, same light powder? I haven't, and one of the issues has been actually getting that uh, where I live, so I've had to use another brand. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. So, yeah. Well, now Hammer has a task <laughs> and at it, the end. Yeah. Get Dion some Recoverite out there, wherever he is. <laughs> Improve the European distribution. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, they, they're, um, they were at Chamonix for YouTube. Oh, were they? they yeah. yeah. So, well, I'll be there so again this year. So I think they have a Switzerland Awesome. And things have probably changed over the years as well, so, yeah. yeah, since I've been using it. I just happened to meet the guy from Switzerland. That's the only reason I know that. Um, and so, major takeaway, you did something that is my major goal of the year. Yeah. Um, I just want to finish. I don't need a podium like you. Did, it, did they actually have a podium for the triple? Like, no. Um, no, Candice doesn't recognise the the, the the triple crown results as, okay. as as a placing. Of course, in, in Candice's eyes, I, I think her idea of belief is that everyone that finishes achieves such a great um, result and, and great uh, you know, has a great journey and experience out there that everyone's of equal value. So I love that as well. No clocks. Yeah. Um, but of course, everyone's competitive, and the, the people at the front are always keeping their eye on, on the scores. Yeah. Fast guys. <laughs> so, what what is your your major takeaway after doing something that I think only forty seven people in the world have ever done? It's rare these days. More people have run across the United States. I mean, granted, this is a newer concept, but you know, you did something that's pretty rare and very very difficult and scares the hell out of me. I think I had doubts going into the first race whether I could do it and I had been raising money for animals, shelters and rescue animals that don't shop so I had a lot of why in me for that first race to get through it. The first race I wasn't too concerned about where I placed and I think it was like 16th or 17th place which is not really where I'd expect to see myself but I got the job done, got through it and learned so much from that that the next race I changed you know quite a few things up like I spoke about with footwear nutrition might have been clothing lighting etc I brought on Kagala so I was using a lot of their lighting then which made the nighttime running a lot easier so you, you, there was just things to learn from and getting through each of the days and moving towards Moab by, by Moab I mean I was really gunning to try and get get up to the front there and get onto the podium if I could 
the race is like completely achievable for everyone, but you've got to start back at Bigfoot and get through that one first before moving on to any others. And through my preparation, I'd listened to all of the podcasts. I'd watched a lot of the, the YouTube films. Uh, Kerry Ward's got some amazing... Yeah, I feel like I know him. <laughs> I know, right? Because they're all like two hours long. Yeah, and I used to sit on a turbo and uh, in bad weather be outside and I'd be on a turbo bike inside and I'd watch the videos of that, picture myself running through it, learn from his yeah. um, you know, wisdom and, and his mistakes as well and try and pick up on how I could improve. And just, just you know, biting off little bits at a time and then concentrating on one race at a time and then as soon as Bigfoot was done I did exactly the same thing for Tahoe I didn't look at elevations aid stations anything until I had to uh, for the other races and I think just being a methodical like that maybe it comes from my multi-stage racing helped me get through each of the days and each of the races that's what I try to explain I mean because I, I get all how are you going to do 650 miles and I sound like a broken record but I say mile one of Bigfoot's mile yeah. Um, which helps me, like, actually in professional life, helps me at the DMV. Uh, but I, I think it's applicable to all all levels and then all distances. I mean, if yeah. you're running a 5K, I mean, you really are focused in on the moment. Maybe I, that's, like, a bad example. No, a 50K or 50-miler or 100-miler. Yeah, I, I think I learned so much from myself throughout the 200 miles that I have brought it into every aspect of life more patience, more ability to adapt when things go wrong, more ability to change things up when necessary, uh, more ability to be able to re- react under pressure. And yeah. all of those things, like you said, you, you do take them into your, your life. And, and now I go to races like a, a marathon or a 50 mile or, or a 100 mile and I'm like, well, it could be worse. It could be 200 miles. <laughs> and suddenly your mind starts to think bigger and you start to think what else is achievable and you expand so much that uh, I think it's infectious for the people that you're around as well. Yeah. Yeah, you can almost start bending bending the world into whatever goal you're going after. And It's pretty powerful stuff from a race. And I think every single race, whether it is 5K or 200 miles, you you learn something about yourself along the way and the longer you're out there the more you learn and if you're able to look at yourself honestly at the end of the race and and make some changes to to yourself then i think you're you've you've become a better person so really quick i can't talk to you hundreds without asking about hallucinations then i want to jump back on there and then i want to ask more about the uh, grand slam and also how my bill's going so far but how was moab um, oh, did I, you see those snakes at Mile I didn't see those. They were out there. I think they were only there during the day, was it, when you were there? Or was it? Yeah. No, I went through there during the night before, I think. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, probably even the day before. The, like, the, the, the thing so is, I've only had uh, experience of the hallucinations at uh, Bigfoot. And I saw people's faces, people that I knew. I saw my dog a lot in some of the leaves. I remember that. Yeah. And I, again, I didn't have it at the other triple crowns and earlier this year I was running a 200 mile race called the Delirious West in Western Australia it was his first uh, first edition again you weren't delirious? I wasn't delirious I mean it's a tough race how? <laughs> I mean did your body adapt to uh, no sleep? and I, I had no sleep at Delirious at all it was the first of the, the four 200s that I've done that I've had no sleep I mean traditionally I've probably only had up to an hour 
total race anyway. And I don't know. That's that's almost unnatural. I mean, do you think your body figured out from like? I think you can go. I mean, at Delirious West, I ran sixty-one twenty-four, and I think you getting into that fifties, it's possible to go. Yeah, you're just going into the third night. If you're going through the third night, you have to sleep. Yeah, I've heard that from a few people. People much quicker than me doing late forties, and you know they're they're not taking too many naps either. So, okay. yeah. Um, and so you you've done you've done a bunch of two hundreds. I'm interested to know what you've taken away from those um, to apply them to hundreds. Like, I want to know this year. Like, how was how was your mental game, and how was your physical game? running 100 miles after doing everything in 2018 towards the 200 mile distance because I noticed myself slow down so I had to speed up training just a tiny bit again middle of the pack speed um, and but my mental game has gotten much better um, where 100k feels like almost like a marathon like an old mentality for a marathon to me I don't know where yeah. are you mentally I don't want to sound defensive <laughs> either to people no I think I think you've hit the nail on the head, really, because after the Delirious West, yeah, that was back in January, January, February, and it took me a little while to get back into running again, and then when I did, I just was hitting the trails of Chamonix, and uh, the pace was had, had really dropped off, so it was something that I was con- continually working on was, was speed. I wasn't concerned at all about distance, because I know I can cover the distance, and I really changed that aspect of my training. You know, I probably average around 60 miles a week, and I around 15,000 feet of elevation. That's a lot. Of, a lot of gain. It's a lot of gain, and in Germany, you've got no real choice. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. So it's quite difficult to actually speed train in Chamonix because you haven't got a lot of flat. So I'm very strong. I'm much much stronger now, mountain runner, than I was previously. Technical abilities really improved, and. The, the mental strength coming from all of those 200s is making things so much easier because I can go out now and do 10, 15, 20 miles and it's gone. You know, it, it's quickly finished. Coming into the it's first... Cool. It's cool. <laughs> it's like this new mental power. I, yeah. So I just power. talked to my, the editor of my book, Julie Moulton, about this and how, yeah, after she did Moab 240, she's almost, like, moved up to front of the pack, not elite, but... She won Bryce Canyon 100 after being very like middle of the pack type runner. Yeah, and a lot of it was her realization mentally that she could push the envelope. Yeah, change the gear up and continue on and push she, through. Yeah, her confidence totally changed, and it was all—it was basically all mental. So you're seeing the same thing. Yeah, absolutely. And my first 100 mile of the year for the Grand Slam was the Old Dominion, and uh, that was first weekend in June. And I really went there to try and attack that, knowing it's only 100 miles. <laughs> and that's some, some familiar. So it does. <laughs> Someone famous came up with that line, and uh, I was using it quite a lot to, to get me through that day. And I had a good I had a good race. I did uh, a, a good time for me. I was 18:51, and I finished in sixth place. And I, wow. I, I, I really pushed through more pain, still without the speed being there. Um, so I think. I think there's there is a lot of things you can learn from the 200s and, and bring into other races, for sure. Good mental training. Yeah, yeah. It definitely. I feel like it slowed me down. I don't know why. 
I think it's the body. I don't think it's the yeah. I think, I think it's a long time on the feet. To yep. that kind of rhythm, and yep. you got to re retrain yourself almost. And I think you've got to be telling yourself out there continually through the stages, uh, through the through the two hundred milers, and through the checkpoints to keep picking your pace up, keep moving, get running again because it's easy to fall into that lull and to get into that slow hike when really you, you can run a lot of the sections that are out there. So you've, you're just going to have to kick yourself up the bum a bit to get People's moving. People's jaws are all on the ground right now. <laughs> um, and so you did, was it Leadville Marathon next? Leadville Marathon. As was like a nice little next. warm up yeah. before states? Yeah. How'd that go? Sea level, right? Yeah, Chamonix, like a thousand meters, so yeah, three thousand feet. Yeah, so it's nothing. Um, we would traditionally run up to two thousand meters and then run around there, but we have had pretty much like it is in Colorado phenomenal snowfall this year. And in in uh, April, May, June, you haven't been able to get up there, so it's only really been the last four weeks that I, I believe you can get back up there now. So I haven't had any uh, altitude training at all, and I arrived up here and got absolutely floored by it and as I just arrived thinking things would be okay I, I, I think I arrived a week before the race and apparently that's one of the worst things you can do is actually be here longer than 24 hours yep. or less than three to four weeks there's a weird window there's a window yeah. I'm kind of pushing it honestly with what I'm doing but yeah yeah and I think 24 hours or 24 hours in and out yeah. you're okay so I went to the, the marathon and uh, completely bombed and came 34th and uh, had a terrible day out. It was four hours something, 4.30ish, but it, it should have been a good hour and something quicker. Well, we, we went for a run, what was it, two days later, three days later, something like that, when you yeah. came down to Denver? Yeah, probably was, a couple and of days later, yeah. I could tell, it wasn't like I was throwing down anything fast, but I think I think you even asked me to, to stop at one point. And I could tell the altitude just jogging. Yeah. I mean, obviously the fatigue of doing a hundred recently and then a marathon, but I could tell your body was like really having a rough time at the altitude. Yeah. I so after the marathon, I was, I, I mean, continuously just had been that queasy, that headachey, that feeling nauseous, and uh, I thought coming down to Denver for the night before flying out to to do Western, I might improve suddenly magically, and it just didn't happen. Did you get better. Yeah. Uh, and unfortunately, that went into to Western as well. No kidding. Yeah, altitude's weird. Um, it, it affects your hydration, which then affects your nutrition. It yeah. affects you in, like, you have to nail things, like, at least from my limited experience being up here, if you're not spot-on hydration, um, things go spiral. Yeah, But quickly. then you can also just go out for, like, an eat, like a Mark Power line, uh, pretty much every year right? I gotta skip this year but then I'll I'll go down to Breck after marking Powerline and throw up with uh, altitude so, <laughs> see there you go yeah yeah it's it's yeah. weird if your hydration's off like two days prior to getting up here it's, it's so weird I, yeah. I haven't been able to really nail it down I think after Old Dominion I flew to flew back to Chamonix I then had to fly to China for a week of book commitments and then I flew straight back to Denver and I think all of that combined hitting the altitude all the time zones. Body was too. just like, no. Yeah. <laughs> Stop it. Um, I haven't had to do any book events in China yet. So. <laughs> It'll come. I'm kidding. <laughs> yeah. And I, it's just one of those things now for Ledman. I mean, hopefully for the Silver Rush tomorrow, I'll be able to run a little better. But for me, it's just about completing and trying to make the most out of the Grand Slam of Hundreds, which was always the goal anyway. 
So before we get to states, I want to hear, are you concerned about the 100 bike? Because last year, the 50-mile bike at Silver Rush or Silver King scared the heck out of me. <laughs> and it just shows what a, a trail runner I was. Um, are you intimidated more at the 100-mile level run or bike? Or, you know, walk me through what you're thinking there. Because it's intimidating, I mean. I was lucky enough to crew my wife Lucia last year for the Leadville 100. So I've seen a lot of the course. I didn't run any of it because it just finished, I think it was Bigfoot. And, or Bigfoot at Tahoe. And, uh, yeah, so I've seen the course. I know I can run the 100 miles. I'll, I'll back myself to be able to do that and, and hopefully deal with the altitude and run competitively. The bike, I am basically having sleepless nights, waking up in cold sweats, thinking about me being able to finish. And if, if I finish, it's going to be up against the 12-hour time limit that you've got. It's not going to be anything more than that. I've bought a fancy bike. Um, it looks good. I look the part. <laughs> <laughs> um, do you clip into your they clip in you clip in, I, I, so you're you're yeah, legit i'm legit looking but i um, pedals <laughs> i need a little electric uh, motor somewhere on me because <laughs> it's i'm going to be up against it i'm worried about that aspect of it to be honest i think you might surprise yourself you got the cardio engine um if anything the altitude it might be scarier than the actual biking sure i mean as long as you're conservative with the bike which you're also such a competitive person that I'm <laughs> the, not sure how that the, will go. But. The bike, I think I've realized now, especially because the altitude has smacked me around a little bit, I think I've realized, forget about that, just think of the finish. Yeah. No, I think it will be a tremendous accomplishment. I don't, I don't know how many people in the world have ever done Leadman combined with uh, the Grand Slam 100s. I don't know if, has I, it been done before? I'm sure it has been. I'm, I'm sure it probably has, but I haven't heard anyone really speak about it. But uh, I think um, it's going to be a phenomenal achievement, and I just hope I can I get through it. So, Western States, I got to see you, luckily, um, right before the start. Uh, you and Ben Light were hanging out. Really glad I got to see you because that was a whirlwind of activity. <laughs> that was the last time you saw me. <laughs> <laughs> I'll make sure to get you in the film. Um, what, what happened? Going in, I mean, talking to you on Wednesday, I think it was, during that run. I know you were kind of like, ah, oh, you know, altitude. But once I get back to sea level, hopefully things will click back. Yeah, and it gradually did, but it wasn't enough. And on the start line, I was flat. I just had no energy. The queasiness and the headaches had kind of passed, but it just didn't feel 100% at all. And I was very conscious of that when I ran into you. And at the time, I'd positioned, started to position myself sort of that mid-pack uh, area, which is not where I would have wanted to have been. But I just knew that it wasn't going to be the race that I wanted, but I wanted to be there for the, for the finish. And something you and I spoke about when we did have the run together in Denver was I, I already told you how disappointed I was about this not going the way that I wanted it to. But you said to me, you know, think about all of the people that have applied. Think about all of the people that would be there on race day watching, wishing that they were you. And it really touched a bit of a nerve with me to, to remind myself of how lucky we are to do this sport and how lucky we are to be an event, 369 starters. So with twenty thousand tickets, with, you said, right? Yeah, with an amazing, yeah. So you you've got to. I had to dig deep and just push through. Hence, utilizing some of that two hundred mile of knowledge and just saying, okay, let's take the foot off the gas to begin with and see if we can get through the first half. And that's all I could do. 
I got into Robinson's flat, my crew were really worried about me. I was starting to uh, urinate quite dark. That's mile 30. Yeah, that's mile 30. I was uh, having issues with my heart, and I was feeling that queasiness and the nauseous was through the roof. That's up high too. I want to say that's almost... It's not 9,000, is it? Um, it gets high. It's there. high there, yeah. and I think you're close to that. And I th- and that was some of the feedback from them was, let's just keep trying to get through to 50 when you're around that sort of Forest Hill mark, 50 to 60, and see you feeling better then. And and that's all I could do was just keep moving forward. Thankfully, the heat wasn't there because that would have been probably the last straw. Got lucky there, honestly. Yeah. That was a rare, rare year for states. Yeah, <laughs> well, I was I was like praying, thanking the Lord for that because if, if normally he you'd be excellent, and but this is kind of a one-off year for you. That was the the sad thing is, <laughs> you know, normally I'd have been pretty cold actually on Saturday, and uh, here I was enjoying the cold. So it, you know, the course was magnificent. The people, the volunteers, the supporters pushed me through. There was supporters of myself and uh, my story with Gobi that were out there and I stopped and took some selfies and had some fun with people along the way that had come just to visit to, to see to me. Did you sign any books or I didn't sign any books. I did after the race. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. So I just really soaked up the atmosphere and the environment and uh, made the most of it. And I had an awesome pacer, Ben Light, who's done a load of 200s as well. He's done the Triple Crown. He's uh, got an awesome FKT plan across the Pyrenees this, this summer in uh, France and Spain he was joining me at 60 so having someone of that level that experience that you know edge of an ability of running really got me thinking more about the running than oh woe is me I'm feeling sick and we pushed on and at the time I mean I was (laughs) for me it was back in the 108th or 110th which is a long way back and we pushed up something like 60 odd positions you know throughout the evening and and, and, and he knows how to deal with getting through yeah. some pain too he, he can and that, you watched one of his videos that guy is a, is a rock he's, <laughs> he's an engine that just keeps going and yeah. super positive and uh, we worked really well together and I think that's a really important factor for any of you if you're pacing for, for the Bigfoot and for the other race the other 200s is finding the right people to be around that are going to push you not someone that's going to let you take your foot off the gas yeah I'm still taking applications for Big Foot and Tahoe. I've received zero applications so far. They'll be flooding in now. <laughs> um, and so, tell me about the finish. Tell me about the last stretch. The last stretch was awesome because it was the last stretch of the whole experience of, of you know, of my own personal battle. Um, but it was also awesome because I got to run that in with my crew and Ben, so I had an amazing woman called Dawn Mager and Joe, my crewman, who crewed me at Moab. And to run the last section on the track with them was a really special moment because you never ever complete a race like this on your own, you know, without those people to push you through it, without the supporters, the volunteers, it couldn't have been done. So we shared the moment together. Someone took a picture of us at the after I crossed the finish line and we were having like a group hug. And uh, I sent it out to them yesterday with like a happy 4th of July team to everyone. And uh, yeah, it just, it meant a lot to me. So did, were you emotional going through the finish line because no. of how ugly that day was? Yes. Yeah. I, um, I mean, it, it really, I really had to dig deep. When you know you're doing the Grand Slam, you know you've got to finish. 
and knowing the, the the way the guys had to really pull together to keep pushing me and to keep me on going forward was you know I mean I'd, I'd worked really hard that day I mean if I hadn't have done the 200s I probably would have pulled out somewhere it's interesting and let's talk recovery um, you're great at recovery you do tremendous efforts whether it's a stage race which stage race you can only count as one race even even if you're out there for two weeks or whatever it is yep um do you have a process do you have a routine at this point uh simple stuff good good food obviously uh good nutrition good good hydration and lots of stretching normally my wife would be around to give me a sports massage which she's very good at um this week I've gone without one but I've actually felt okay in the body because I think it took me 22 hours to do western a good three to four hours were off where I should have been so the body's not really taken the toll um, you know tomorrow's silver rush 50 is still gonna hurt at some point I think the the body's gonna say no and I'm gonna get tired and get lethargic but I'll, I'll be able to get through to the finish um, yeah. um, that's interesting uh, I, I took note that Lucia's do massages after you can be <laughs> yep. um, so do you think your body's adapted to this recovery process so that you have a better ability to bounce back I mean most people yeah. including myself if I do a 22 hour western states I don't think I'll want to do western states ever again <laughs> I'll just retire and let someone else take my spot like a silver buckle is kind of the ultimate so you were disappointed with your end result time is that in, fair to say yeah in in I, I think i put it like on one hand i was disappointed with the time on the other hand i was super proud of getting to the finish and having the crew and the people around me to make that happen are you trying to win the grand slam like is that a uh, goal of yours to be like in some kind of it's actually not possible to do it because now the rules have changed that you don't actually have to do a certain amount of races the only race that you must do is Wasatch to finish so you can have a different schedule you could do Vermont instead of Old Dominion you didn't have to do Western so I mean, this year Western States might have been the <laughs> most ideal one of the group right yeah there's a guy called Gediminas Grinis who's from Lithuania who's an awesome runner he's doing the Grand Slam as well and I think he did like 15 hours at Western so yeah he came in right behind Matt Daniels yeah he, he took second at UTMB right yeah, I think he's might have finished he's fourth, fourth in Western before well, many years ago, four or yeah. five years ago. He's an awesome runner. He's an awesome guy, and uh, like so I'm glad. Five in the whole world. Yeah, like. he's a proper runner. <laughs> <laughs> I'm an average runner that makes good, but uh, that's good to hear. Yeah, that makes me feel better about myself. <laughs> so even, I'm even you are. I'm glad the rules have changed, and there is no real official winner of the Grand Slam. So um, yeah. that takes that takes that out, but it's enough of an. Uh, a challenge to get to each race. I want to do well at Leadville 100. I want to do well at Wasatch. I think I'll be strong at Wasatch in the heat. It's a hard race. Yeah, it's a really hard race. Um, how many days are there in between the Grand Slam events? And then uh, how many think, days are there for Leadman? Like that's I think a whole different. You could do either series, you know, um, and recover and be fine. I think throwing them in together really changes that up. Where I think it's only really in July I've got three weeks break. And then it's back here doing the 100, do the 10K, 
the mountain bike to run. Will you be doing much training in those three weeks, or is that almost I need set to, up to be like... <laughs> I need to get on the bike and learn how to ride <laughs> when I get back to Chamonix again. Yeah, I did Silver Rush with literally only 200 miles of training. How long did that take? I don't even remember. Don't remember. I know I got, at, I got to the halfway point and was like well within cutoff time so I took it easy because I was doing Silver King and had the run the next day, the next day yeah. so I was like okay don't be a complete fool uh, and then there's a nice hailstorm at the end so <laughs> don't don't um, underestimate the weather changes here in Leadville it yeah. can be like well, last, sunny and hot and then it can be a disastrous hailstorm last year's 100 when I was here crewing for Lucia was, was freezing it was freezing cold and uh, yeah I thought to myself I'm never coming back to Leadville I'll never do level 100. I kind of just missed the whole excitement of it all last year with the weather, and here I am. Yeah. But it's it's uh, it's a beautiful place, and uh, it's great. It's going to be good fun up in the mountains. So, what are you most concerned about over like just finishing out 2019? Uh, just the bike. Um, just the, <laughs> that's I all totally I think relate. about. <laughs> uh, everything else. event, basically. Yeah. Of my and I, I guess Wasatch is a big deal. It's a tough race. You know, you, I think your silver hard. buckle under 30 hours there. And it's 30 to 36, which is bronze. I, I could be wrong on that. But, you know, I've been talking to Ben, who's done that quite a lot. And uh, he said to me, I mean, he, he famously tried to do Wasatch last year, then fly from Wasatch to Truckee, and then go and start the Tahoe 200 and do it in the time limits that were set for that. And, uh, you know, he really gave it a great crack. And I just... Wasatch took him out. Wasatch, he was sick at Wasatch. Yeah. Um, so he's talked me through a lot of trying to how to get through that race and how to try and be a competitive run at the front, and, and I hope I can. But it, but it's a big deal to get through that to finish the Grand Slam. Yeah, they end with an exclamation mark, like kind of a bang there at the end. Yeah. Won't be easy. Yeah. But you'll you'll feel happy and satisfied. Yeah. Um, and then straight down to Vegas <laughs> on the food and the drink. <laughs> That's yeah. the plan. Nice. <laughs> Relax. So, your your book Finding Gobi has had that's probably what you're used to talking to with a microphone, right? Yeah, there, yeah. I don't think I there's been a major network <laughs> that hasn't talked to you about that book. I love sharing Gobi's story and our adventures and journey, and uh, you know, it changed my life, it changed her life, and it's been a big a big part of you know things in the last three or four years for me. I thought it was cool. Uh, Lucia had invited me to to speak with her and she brought this dog and I was like why are you taking a dog to the finish line of UTMB and and after the fact I read the book <laughs> and then I figured out oh my gosh that was Gobi the whole time yeah like well, just having the time of her life at the finish line and wanting to run on on Monday actually Lucia interviewed Sage Canada and uh Sage got to meet Gobi and uh he was just blown away by the story, and he's, he's, he's now following Gobi on Instagram and loves it. And uh, I just think it's 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 so cool that this tiny little dog could run so far. She's I've challenged Sage to run against Gobi the next time he comes out to Chamonix because she's super quick. I think she could put a put a loss on him. So yeah, <laughs> it's like the classic like race a horse. Exactly. Yeah, that's like, what I was thinking. Out, out race Gobi. <laughs> yeah, that's funny. Um, tell me more about your new book. Yeah, it seems to be a, a theme that I write about animals. So I've written a, a, a fiction book this time about my cat, Lara, who's a real cat, lived with us, and she's, she's just turned 12 years old. She's an indoor ragdoll cat, and uh, she gets very jealous the moment that Gobi comes home after our whole experience in China. 
and uh, she feels unloved and unwanted because Gobi's now in the limelight and uh, I'm traveling around the world with Gobi and uh, yeah, she decides that she's going to run away from home for the first time ever set foot outside to go and experience this world that, uh, you know, little stray dog's been able to do it. So surely Lara can go and run away and uh, experience it for herself. It's, uh, it's a really sort of heartwarming, inspiring story about someone who goes out into the world to find themselves and find more than themselves but help other people along the way as well so we've had a really good fun with some characters within that book i have and uh, i've also brought goby into the mix as well to when we go to find lara we've obviously got some experience in finding goby so yeah the book's now available in the us and canada australia and the uk and it's coming out in languages next year as well i mean on your third book can you just make me a character like rob the squirrel and <laughs> i make one scene um I'm, I'm totally kidding. Rob the hallucination the snake. snake. <laughs> oh god, <laughs> that, that could be a character for your next book. The snake. The snake. Um, so, I mean, any other updates on Finding Gobi that you want to share? No, I think the most exciting thing that we're working on behind the scenes is, uh, is we've got a film deal with 20th Century Fox, who've now been bought out by Disney. And they're That's huge. Yeah, huge congrats. Thank you. Disney yeah. movie. Good lord. <laughs> Super exciting. And we've got the directors um, signed up, written the screenplay. We've now got two producers on board, two big name producers who've worked on lots of Hollywood uh, blockbusters. And they're just waiting to, to sign up the actor. And uh, he's reading the screenplay at the moment. So we're. Well, I, I don't want to put you on the spot, but in like the most ideal, you have like a hundred million dollar budget. Who do you want playing you? Who do you, is there an actor out there that you think could play you best, or is that a really stupid question? We've had lots of interest from people like, um, for, for, quite a, for quite a while now, people like Mark Wahlberg, Channing Tatum, Ashton Kutcher have shown interest. Cool. Uh, there's some, there's Matt, some... Matt Damon might be a good one too, actually, I don't, for some reason. Could be, could be a little short for me though. <laughs> that's a, <Hey>. that's a, <laughs> it's Hollywood. They can make the, the CGI. <laughs> those those three that yeah. they're talking to are huge. Uh, yeah, this and is, I, this is not going to be a small movie if you include those three guys in a pop. Yeah, and I I don't know who's going to play Gobi. That's uh, that's probably the most the important part. But there is there is genuine interest from other Hollywood actors that I'm not able to talk about. I think if if there's an Australian actor that can fill the role. That will, for me, I'd be very, very proud and happy to see that happen and to to, to share the story across Australia and America would be amazing. In the UK as well, I'm half British, so yeah, it's it's it's, it's who knows. I mean, I what I do know is I read the children's book version to my son Ben, who just ran his first little tiny race. How far was it? I think it was a quarter of a mile, and then at the end he ended up doing four more loops. Just, <laughs> just like Dad, he doesn't want to stop at a marathon or his version of a marathon. Awesome. Um, yeah, I was really proud. best part of that was not pushing him at all. Um, a friend recommended it, and my wife signed him up. <laughs> He's got I had the zero. I showed up and took some photos and stuff. It could be uh, could be exciting to see where he goes with it now then. Was he, was he enjoying it? Was he quick? Was he... Uh... He loved it so much he wouldn't stop running. He just <laughs> kept going cool. around the little loop. Yeah, um, they were doing like awards for the five k race. He just kept and going. He just kept running. <laughs> awesome. Um, but yeah, I'll support any sport he wants to go into. Um, what was I going to ask you? 
I mean, I'm, I'm just excited for you. I mean, it seems like you're just going to continue to grow, even though you've done an interview with everyone except for probably Ellen and Oprah. I think yeah. we're joking. <laughs> By the way, Ellen would be natural. Having Gobi actually on her show, I mean... Yeah, you could see Gobi on the couch there, couldn't you? That would totally be pretty natural. Cool. <laughs> and um, I, hope, I hope that it, by sharing the story... It, it opens up the the sport also to other runners and to other people because you know I've had this background of being um, massively overweight, pack a day smoker, you know, very alcohol dependent, um, and turn myself into a runner. It's not something that I've done easily. It's not something that's happened naturally. So it's kind of proof that anyone can go out there and achieve great things as well. So I really hope that that is, is through the, through the story and through the movie and it brings those people into the sport as well, because, you know, I think that's a great thing to be able to share our sport with other people as well. No, I, I think it's awesome. You're, you're going to draw in, um, the whole spectrum of, of viewers for that movie. And most importantly in my head is sparking kind of planting that seed, um, into young kids which is, I mean, you know, you're, you're helping create really good habits. Um, yeah, and it's, it's easy in the everyday working life to fall out of those and to fall into other traps, and we've all done it, and we all do it at times, and running's a great, uh, a great healer and a great cause to, you know, make yourself better in many aspects, physically and mentally. So I'll end with advice for anyone I'm not asking this for myself. Anyone doing the Triple Crown, do you have any advice? And then any other kind of worldly advice that you picked up off um, all your trips? For, because you travel, you truly do travel the globe, and you've you've met probably tens of thousands of people, and you sell hundreds of thousands of books. What advice do you have for me on the Triple Crown? <laughs> and then, um, what, what have you picked up with uh, global travel? I think with the Triple Crown, it's it's biting it off in chunks and uh, and just getting through each day and each night and dealing with everything that comes up and knowing that you, you you've, the best thing is you know now what it takes to get through a race like Moab uh, and you'll be able to get through the others, but but do not think about Moab until you get to Moab and uh, and to keep you know to keep positive and to keep thinking good thoughts and and think about the why the why is so important to get you through those moments when you want to want to quit. And that's episode 97. Big thank you to Dave and Dion for catching up. Big thank you to the podcast sponsors, Hammer Nutrition, Sufferfest Beer, Exoskin, Destination Trail, and Ultimate Direction. Big thank you again to the Patreon supporters. You guys are awesome. I really enjoyed that inside conversation. We have a closed Facebook group, and we talked heat training. We got a few coaches involved. Sally McRae was nice enough to throw in her two cents and then you know Matt Daniels was in there and heat training is kind of one of those funny things that it's a science but then it's also not so it was fun to hear their insights and I just appreciate you guys so have a great week of training the Bigfoot 200s coming up here soon so I'm sure I'll have some updates but most importantly don't forget to enjoy your training have a great week